I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. We are recording this on February 12th, 2020. I'm Anna Garcia and joining me today is Luis Bolaños, who happens to also be a friend of mine. (laughs) But that's not why you should be impressed. (laughs) Luis has worked for more than 30 years in law enforcement and he specializes uh, when he was a cop. In major narcotics and high profile homicide investigations. And once you retired from the sheriff's department, you started work as a private investigator and you have your own company called Get Bit Investigations. Tell us more about your company. That's it. That's it. Um, Well, just a little background. I, you know, I have over 30 years of investigative experience, 22 of those years with the Riverside County Sheriff's Department and the Riverside County DA's office. Um, I specialize, like you said, in homicides and major narcotic investigations. And I was farmed out to FBI and DEA to do special programs and uh, investigations with them. Um, so that's what I did on the prosecution side. Uh, somehow in the last 10 years, when I retired 10 years ago, uh, I've kind of morphed into, I don't even know what it is I do exactly. I, you do it's, everything, it's, Lewis. It's, it's a little strange, but... but uh, you know, we, we, we've become a voice for victims and families on cases that for some reason have stalled, either they should be prosecuted and they're not for some reason, uh, whether it's intentional or because somebody unintentional, doesn't matter. But whatever the reason is, we try to make cases move forward in the right direction, whether it's toward prosecution or exonerating somebody. And we're really a, a, a boutique uh, PI firm, um, that uh, somehow we've been able to gain a lot of traction and we've had a lot of success in our short-lived lives. And that's how we met. We actually met. uh, I was doing a report for Crime Watch Daily. It was one of your cases that you just would not let go of. And ultimately that unsolved cold case of, it was a triple homicide. You ultimately got convictions. We were fortunate to be part of that conviction. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of good people put a lot of good work into that. And uh, that's, you know, but that's atypical, the type of uh, cases we help out on. I'd like to share with you a case recently that we're on. Okay. What are you working similar on? similar like that. But this is the case of Ramon Diaz. About two years ago, I was contacted by Ramon's family uh, who live in the Coachella Valley. Coachella Valley is an acronym for uh, for Palm Springs, Rancho Mirage, Cathedral City, Indio Coachella, you know, down at the Mm -hmm. uh, uh, east end of the valley. And I did not know Ramon Diaz. They wanted to meet with me because they had seen some of the other work we've done. And I drove down there one day and I met with the family. This is usually how it comes to us. And they told me about their brother Ramon. And Ramon had lived in the Coachella Valley for about 30 years, most of his adult life. And he was a jujitsu instructor, a very well-respected instructor in the Coachella Valley, um, very talented, uh, who volunteered his time to kids and local law enforcement in sharing his training. He was so good, he actually uh, responsible for a lot of successes of, of some major MMA fighters um, who, who still to this day just share with me how incredible of an individual he was. Constantly sharing his time, donated his time to improve 
everybody around him. Very uh, unselfish individual. So he was, what, what he was also a Palm Springs Police Reserve. I'm sorry, what? A, a reserve for the Palm Springs Police Department. Oh, really? Yeah. So about uh, two years ago on this, March 28th at about 10 p.m., Ramon is leaving his his business. He's closed, closed up shop, and he took about a 10-minute drive home, and like he does every night. Um, and he pulls, backs into his driveway like he does all the time because he's vigilant. This is a routine he does uh, because he's always teaching people to be vigilant, uh, to be aware mm-hmm. um, at their surroundings. And he practiced what he preached. He backs in, he gets out of his car, still in his dojo outfit. And he walks to his front door where he is shot in the face and executed on his doorstep. And the, there's video of this occurring. The Cathedral City Police Department uh, clipped together videos from ring cameras and home security cameras. The ring video doorbells. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. And you could see a car trailing very slowly with an individual walking slowly toward Ramon's home, waiting for him to back in and get to his front doorstep. And the individual walks to him, shots are fired, and the individual takes off running, and the car parallels the runner. He turns the corner, and the guy gets in the car, and both clowns run for it. Drive away. So was this, were they trying to hold him up? Were they trying to break in? What What do you think happened? Well, we just don't know what their motive is. We don't believe it was a holdup because no money was taken, no property was taken. It was a straight execution. That was the goal of what they wanted to do. Um, so it really looked like they're laying in wait. Um, it, this was planned way ahead of time. They knew exactly what time he would be home or they followed him home or they had enough information to know when is the best time to uh, uh, to effect this execution? Um, so uh, I get contacted by law for, by a, a family about four months after this, uh, telling me that they're upset because they were told by law enforcement that the case has gone cold. There's nothing else they can do. I get that, but it's kind of sometimes, but it's really hard for families to absorb that so quickly. Um, so they asked us if we'd get involved, and once I learned what kind of individual he was, we staffed it. We said, absolutely, this is what we want to do. So some of the things we put in place and, and just to make this thing move forward in the right direction, we contacted um, – uh, we put up a hotline, and you'll see it up here on the board here behind us. Uh, we put up a billboard. We contacted uh, Lamar Billboard in the Valley, uh, Vanessa Mormon and Robin Corona – who donated one of their billboards and they promised to float that sign around the valley. Um, that's an expensive donation, right? And we've used this in the past with the hotline and it's been very effective. Um, we put up a Go, GoFundMe page and we're in the process of contacting all the cities, the state, the county to help enhance, increase the, um, uh, the reward. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's what it takes to make people call. But so um, Lewis, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, Curious here, if you have video that shows the the two people, the two men, and I looked at the video, it was really hard for me to make out right. the people and the car. So no other surveillance camera picked anything up on the car, the make, plates, nothing? No, it's just way too grainy to, to get any specific detail out of it, other than there was at least two individuals and the direction they fled. So, so how do you move forward with a case like this? Uh, well, money talks, I got to tell you, right? For when it comes down to a reward going up, and this reward is going to be increasing in large chunks here shortly. Um, but we know we know there's at least two suspects in this. And the good thing about that, the Coachella Valley is small. And for a variety of reasons of what we've been discovering during this investigation, we believe that the people that pull that trigger or the people that directed them to pull that trigger are familiar with Ron Diaz and his family and his business, that they know him. That's, that's, they have some type of relationship and that valley is very small. And so people tend to talk more than one person is involved. So we're hoping that that money is going to shake the tree along when also with the fact that the walls are starting to close, I think. But who would want him dead? That's just it. You know, is this financial? Is this uh, Did you find anything out that it was financial? He had a fight with someone? We've heard so many different scenarios, all the above. Uh, And so we're still in the process of trying to figure out what's uh, urban legend, what's not. Uh, and so, was, was anyone home? Do they have children? Cause it, it was late at night. So was anybody else home? 
He lives with his wife. Uh, she was not home at the time uh, when this happened. Uh, and uh, no kids. So it, it was just, yeah, she came home and found him on the doorstep. Wow. And yeah, it's just very, very horrible, very, very horrible scenario. And I, you know, I, I really think this case can and will be solved. I, I really, really, truly believe that. Or we wouldn't be doing this. Right. Right. Yeah. That's what you do. You solve yeah. these cases. Well, good luck with that one. Yeah. It's very sad. Very, very sad for the family. So, Lewis, these are the cases that we're looking at this week. A Utah man has pleaded guilty to killing his wife on a cruise ship while their children listened to him killing her. But first, we're going to go back to a case that we covered last week. Lewis, last week we covered a story that was absolutely horrendous. This was a story out of Phoenix where an 11-year-old girl called 911 and said that she was hungry and that she hadn't seen her parents in days. And as a result of that, the cops show up. They see deplorable conditions that this little girl is living in. And they take her into custody and then they interview her. And she talks about a sister of hers, an older sister who disappeared to you know, two years ago when she was told she just went to Mexico. She was also told that the girl went to Colombia. The cops go back to the house in Phoenix to remove the two other children in the house. And on that very same day, a fire is set by the parents. And as the firefighters are, are trying to put the fire out, they find the remains of a child in the attic. So the remains of this little girl have been identified by the police. The two parents have been arrested and taken into custody. They are Rafael and Maribel Lorera, and they've been charged with child abuse, but they have not been charged in any way with the death of that little girl. So as a result of us looking at this case, we got contacted by a cousin of the little girl who was found dead. And that brings us to where we are today. So Priscilla Marquez also reached out to us through this cousin, and and she claims to be the biological mother of Charisma. And that is the name that the authorities have used as the original name before she was adopted. And Priscilla claims that not only is Charisma, the little dead girl, that that's her daughter. She also says that the 11-year-old who called the cops for help is also her daughter, along with the nine-year-old boy who was removed, and he had horrendous scabs, burns, and bruises all over his body. Wow. Just a horrendous case. So confirmed the parents admitted they lit the fire? The father did. The father did. The father did. He also claims, Raphael also claims that he was a victim of domestic violence, that he did his best to protect the children, but his wife was abusive to the children and to him. And the little girl, from what the police have told us, the 11-year-old who called out for help, she also blamed the stepmother or the adoptive mother, I guess we should call her, for the abuse. And if you look at the bail that the bail was set so much higher for the mother than it was for the father. I don't know who's telling the truth, but her bail was set much, much higher. Yeah, that's interesting that they're able to decipher that so quickly when they're setting bail as to who's more at fault or if who has more fault than the other person. That's, that's pretty rare in that situation. It, it's really— It could be telling it, about it, who really was the most abusive in that— in that household. We, yeah. we just don't know right now. So back to Priscilla, yeah. the mom, the biological mother of the girl who was found dead. Priscilla lost all her children in 2012. They were taken away from her by the state because she was unable and unfit to take care of them. She was addicted to methamphetamines and perhaps some some other drugs. But she admits that she was you know, a, a victim of addiction. And yeah. so she could not take yeah. care of her children. And she always believed that at least the kids would be in a better place. And she always felt grateful that the children had been adopted together. So she thought they'd have a better chance. Now, Lewis, we did ask for confirmation or any documentation that she could provide to us that she is indeed the mother of these children. She did provide us with a certificate that had um, the Charisma's um, 
little footprints from birth. Right. So she did provide us that, but she was not able to provide us any other further documentation as far as adoption papers or anything. And she says that the reason she can't find anything is partially because she pretty much lost everything in her life in that time period where she was unable to care for herself or anyone else. Uh, And she has she has spoken to other news outlets. And so that's why we'd like to hear what she has to say, especially since her cousin reached out to us. And this is just such a horrific story. And rarely do you get to hear from the biological mother. So Priscilla is on the phone and is ready to talk to us about what happened and what happened to Charisma and what happens next. So Priscilla, thank you so much for making time to talk to us today. How are you doing? I have my moments. I, this is my first day back to work and I face out. I try to keep myself busy and, you know, keep myself active and just out of nowhere, I just face out and I just start thinking about my daughter, my kids. And then I have to like take a deep breath and swallow it and keep on going. Priscilla, can you tell us a little bit about what was going on in your life at the time that you lost custody of the children and also tell me about charisma? My, I had a drug addiction. I was addicted to methamphetamine and they removed my children because they said, um, because my electricity got turned off and my father ended up getting us a hotel room for a week. He paid for it with his credit card. So that way we wouldn't be in the home without electricity. CPS told me that they were going to help me get my electricity turned on. So I did all everything they told me to do. Keep in mind, we're not staying underneath the roof because there's no electricity. Kids were going to daycare. Kids were going to doctors, school and everything. And the caseworker decided to remove my kids for, she said, unstable housing. She told me that when they removed them, she said that when we went to our first court after they were removed, the judge never, the judge was shocked. He said, why did we remove these children when there is no paper for us to move them. The kid's attorney was saying, why did, we re- why did we remove them? We didn't ask for you to remove them. She took it upon herself to do it. They asked me to drop a UA test. I think that's what you would call it. And it came back clean. I didn't have drugs in my system. They just kept on telling me I had to do this, I had to do that, which I was doing everything they wanted me to do. At the same time, I never went back home to our home because I had... I felt like I had no reason to go home because my kids weren't there anymore. I just ended up going down the wrong road and numbing myself for the pain that I didn't have my children with me. I they I did everything I was supposed to do. It seemed to be never never be enough. I kept on getting pushed back, getting kicked down, getting told, don't worry about your kids, worry about yourself. I didn't get help. They were against me and not helping me. Priscilla, can you tell me at what point you found out that you were never going to get the children back and that they were going to be adopted out? It was in 2012 when I was told that I, they terminated my rights. That's when I just said, what's, what's there for me to do anymore with my life? I, I don't have my children. I have nothing to live for. Which, why should I even be doing anything positive with my life? I ended up going down the wrong road and to doing drugs to where I ended up in jail for a good almost a year. I ended up in jail for a year. Then I got released from jail and I just went down the right road and decided, you know what, I can't keep on kicking myself down because I don't have my babies. I got to get myself better for when they do come looking for me. You know, it's, I got to make something positive out of this because they will come looking for me when they turn 18 and I need to be on the right road because I don't want to hear them say, Mommy, why didn't you change your ways? Did you know where the children had been adopted to, or or did you even know if they had been adopted together? I knew that the three little ones were adopted together. I have another daughter that has been adopted out, and her adopted mom has been very, she's heaven sent. She did everything in her willpower to make sure I was at her sweet 16. She went to CPS boards and everything and made sure of that I was, she made sure I got updates of my daughter and everything. But the three little ones, I was not told where they were at. I was not allowed to know where they were at. I, all I was told was it was a lady that spoke nothing but Spanish, and it was a, a man that spoke Spanish and English. I kind of thought, okay. I was like, okay, at least my kids are in the right hands. 
I felt that they were supposed to be placed in the right hands. And I go, and they're going to learn Spanish faster than me. Seeing something positive out of it. And that was it. So, Priscilla, from your perspective, you were hoping and believing that your children were in a safe and loving environment? Yes. Because that's what yes, every mother... That's what, they, that's what every mother hopes. That's what they... That's what the DCS or CPS, whatever you want to call it nowadays, that's what they paint the pretty picture that your children are in better hands because your hands weren't good enough for them. So how did you find out what had happened to your children? I was here at work. I got a text message from my father to call him. I called him and he told me, are you sitting down? And I said, yeah. And he said, something bad happened. And I said, okay. And he was like, it's your three little ones. And I said, what do you mean it's my three little ones? What's wrong? And what crossed my mind is they were in a major accident. And I'm not, you know, I'm not really like trying to, I'm just like, what's going on? And he was like, I'm going to text you. And I go, no, you're not going to text me anything. You're going to tell me right now what's going on with my kids. And he said, Joseph and Angelina are, are safe. It's charisma. And I just started like hyperventilating. I was like, what's wrong with charisma? And he's like, it's the thing that the worst that you can think of. And I was like, she's been sexually abused. Don't tell me that. And he was like, it's worse. And I said, what? And he said, they found the remains of charisma. And my whole world stopped. My whole surroundings went blank because I was looking forward and counting down the days to be with my children and to be with my baby girl. She was just turned 13 on the, on January 22nd. And he told me to calm down because I went crazy saying, not my babies. No, not my, not my baby. This is not happening. This is a lie. This is not happening. And I go, she just turned 13, Dad. He was like, I know you need to calm down so I can finish telling you what happened. And then... He started explaining to me, I just heard 59th Avenue Camelback. There was some remains that were found of a child in the attic. And I remember hearing that on the news. I remember, but I didn't think it was my children. I didn't think it was my daughter. He told me I had to reach out to my uncle, who the kids were in his care before they went to these monsters' house. He was the one that dropped them off with these monsters when um, DCS told him that's where they're going to be. That's who's adopting them. So I called my uncle just to see if this is really true. You know, I have to know what's going on. And he told me, yes, Miha, it's true. I'm so sorry. And I was like, how do you know this? You need to tell me how you know this. Did someone call you? He was watching the news. And the milk shots showed up on the news. And he said, those are the people that adopted the kids, he told his wife. Then the house shows. And he said, that's where I dropped the kids off. So he called DCS. They told him that Angelina and Joseph were safe. And he asked about Charisma. And they said there was no information that he, they could give about her, that it was under investigation. So he put everything together. And that's how we found out. No, there was no DCS calls, nothing. If my CEO was not watching the news, we would have never found out. So now that you sadly know what happened to your children, and even though the police have not told us everything that happened in that house, it sounds like it was a horrific experience for these children and that they were badly, badly beaten and abused based on what the police have said and what the children have said happened to them. How, how is this possible? How is this possible that your children get taken away and you're in a bad spot and you were not your best and you admit that, mm-hmm. but they end up in a place as horrible as hell. It's worse than hell. That's, that was hell for them. And no child, no innocent child should be placed in that. No innocent child should be placed in that. God has them here for a reason. And every child is innocent. And that right there is something they should have never came a home. They should have never been placed into. I don't understand how this could happen. How did DCS allow this where there's no home visits? Why weren't there home visits? Just because they're adopted. It's, we wash our hands, case closed, next child, next family. No, they should have still kept on checking up on them. It should have been random checkups until those children turn 18. 
that one knock on the door just to make sure everybody's okay, just to see how the family's going, could have saved my child, could have saved my baby. Absolutely. Priscilla, this is Lewis. At first, I'm, we both are very sorry for your loss. I, I, and I happen to agree with you. This should have never happened. Um, there usually are steps in place to prevent this. You would think that those would have been uh, in, in play here. And for some reason, somebody dropped a ball on this. It, it, in so many ways, so many layers. I'm so sorry this has happened to you. But you had mentioned earlier that you were kept abreast of where your children were basically who they were, and they were you were kind of given updates, very generic. Is that correct? They never told me. I would never got updates about them. I was never told where they were located. I wasn't allowed to know where they were located. But you, I, but you were told that who that they were with a Hispanic couple. You were given some minimal information. Was, yeah, they just said it was a lady that spoke Spanish and then a man that spoke Spanish and English. And I thought that was kind of odd. I mean, I'm not racist. I'm not at all. I, I. And I know that there's people that come here to try to work and that they're trying to get their residents to be here, to be a part of the United States, you know. But how was it these people come from Colombia and they had easy access to adopt children? Were you ever told by the caseworker or whoever was your initial contact telling you that this process was going to happen, that you would be given updates or they would be checked on on a regular basis? No, I was told that... My rights are terminated, and I'll never know where my children are until, they, until they're 18 years old and they can look for me. Were you, were you ever told that there was any type of background check done on this couple? Nope. Okay. Lewis is a former homicide detective. Uh, he's retired now, and he's also a private investigator. So he, he certainly has seen his fair share of unbelievable cases, but this one is just so sad. I'm so sorry, Priscilla. Can you tell us whether the medical examiner or anyone in the police department has been able to tell you anything about either charisma or your two other children? I called DCS the other day and I told them, I don't know if I'm calling the right number. All I am a mother reaching out desperately to find out how my, my two children are doing. Please, if this is not the number, please at least guide me in the right direction where to call or who to call or who to talk to. They called me yesterday and I talked to a lady and she said, she looked it up and she looked up my children. She said, it shows that your rights were terminated in 2012. I go, yes, I understand that. I go, I, uh, I understand. I'm not going to say that that's not true. I go, I know my children are with DCS. I know they are. I go, they've been through so much right now. I go, I'm not asking you to tell me exactly where they're at because I know you're not allowed to tell me that. But I am asking you to listen and hear a mother out. I need you to please, whoever's working on this case, Make sure they're okay. I need them to have a well check. You need to run everything and make sure they're okay. There's no internal damages. Angelina, her head was smashed in the wall. Make sure her brain, her little brain is okay. Make sure nothing's going to come up later in the future or while she's sleeping. She'll be okay because you don't know what kind of damage they have. You guys need to make sure of this. Please. It's a mother crying out with concern. And she's like, there's nothing I can tell you. because I go, I understand there's nothing you can tell me. You're going to keep on saying that. Everybody's going to keep on saying that because I'm not their, legally, I'm not their mother. But can't you give me some kind of comfort? Can't you help me out just a little bit? She's like, I can let the caseworker know. I can pass it on. She's like, that's all I can do. She's like, but if you feel like a kid is being, um, if you feel like there's some kind of abuse going on, I go, there's been abuse. You guys have my children in the system. It's all over the news. I'm sure you heard about it. I go, and if you have it, then turn on the news. And she was like, okay, yes, I understand. But, like, she didn't care. She was acting like she was taking the information down. Maybe she did. Maybe she didn't. I don't know. Have you tried calling the police and talking to them the, or, or the prosecutor's office because they're in charge of the case? I'm going down. I'm going to the court tomorrow. Good. I'm going to their court tomorrow. Their court is tomorrow because the bones have been identified for a fact as my daughter Charisma's bones. They identified them. They were grand jury indicted. I believe the day before yesterday morning. Were you able to get any more information on the cause of death or, or anything about no. what happened? No, somebody did give me the case number so I could keep on um, checking on the medical examiner's website. And it's still saying cause of death pending. So, but it does say, and it does say in an article that the story that the guy is giving does not match up to what they've came across so far, so far. And it's um, blunt force to the head something like that in those words 
So what happens now? What what happens to Charisma's remains? That's what I want to know. I want my daughter's remains. I'm asking for my daughter's remains so I can lay her to rest peacefully. They, I guess they changed her name, but I don't know if they changed it legally or not. And if they did, I want her name changed back to her biological name. I want her remains so I can lay her to rest peacefully. They can't give me answers right now. Let me lay my daughter to rest. Let me. Priscilla, you said you're going to go to the courthouse tomorrow. Is that yes, correct? Yes, I am. So yes. you're, I would suggest that you introduce yourself to the prosecutor. Okay. And every prosecutor in office in this nation has a victim witness unit. And part of their duties is to help facilitate uh, people going through this type of, these type of scenarios. Yours is a little different, but I think that they should bend over backwards, try to help you and get the information that you seek and, and make this path as, I don't know if it can be simple, but not put up any more barriers for you. Uh, victim Witness Program. Victim Witness Program, that's yeah. what it is? Yes, ma'am. Victim Witness Program. They may call it something a little different, but the concept is the same. Uh, Lewis, yeah. do you think that Priscilla has any standing in the court? I mean, she is the biological mother, but she her rights were terminated. So who makes the decision about what happens to this little girl's remains. It could ultimately end up having to become a court order for Priscilla to have ultimate decision on, on what should happen. Um, and a lot of it probably depends on what the quote-unquote legal parents decide. They still have rights. They haven't been convicted yet. They've been charged. They haven't been convicted of anything yet. But the children have been removed. Correct, and- but it's still in the custody of the state. It's still, uh, so it's it may have to be fought in court. I just don't know. If the, if the adoptive parents give up all rights and concede to give everything back to the, the biological mother, that path could be pretty easy then. Uh, it, it's a tough one. I, 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 you know, I, that's why I suggest please introduce yourself to the prosecutor tomorrow and meet somebody okay. from the victim witness program um, and okay. get their card and you become a thorn in their side. Okay. Okay, I'll do that. And um, do, you, do you suggest I get a lawyer? It doesn't hurt to talk to one. Right. Okay. Doesn't hurt. Um, okay. Right. So because there's probably going to be, uh, I think, like Lewis said, most likely a judge will have to make the determination as to what happens to the remains and and who gets to bury your daughter. So uh, and I'm sure that your feelings. Well, I should put it this way. I believe in my heart and in my soul that your feelings and what you desire should be considered, and you should have a say in what happens. I agree. I agree. I'm. I'm. So, is there anything else? Is there anything we can do for you? Just keep on praying and showing support and reaching this out there, so that way, trying to get her remains, get my other children if they're not, if they can't be placed with me with family because they don't need to be placed with any other strangers anymore, and. We want to make a change to this DCS, you know, the way they do this, the situations with the adoption and make changes because I know my daughter would be here right now if somebody would have knocked on that door just to see how they were doing. And I don't want it to happen to another family. I don't want it to happen to other children. It could stop now. You know, I don't expect it to happen in 24 hours, but change needs to happen. And I don't want my daughter to be forgotten. And there's a reason why she got taken away. And it has to make make a change. Right. Right. I'll, I'll just add, this case, to me, screams, is screaming for a grand jury investigation. So an investigation by an independent citizens panel, because things should have been put in place to prevent this. Whatever they had in place, if anything, didn't work. This should have never happened. And to bring even a bigger voice to your word, change, that's something that it might Take it may take something that that powerful to get this done. Um, and this so, did not um, happen in a vacuum because the fact that for two years your daughter was quote unquote either missing, right? Because yeah. no one knew where she was. The children, her her siblings, had been told that she was either in Mexico or in Colombia. But the fact that no one at any school or any neighbor or anyone in in their world knew 
that this little girl was missing for two years, and it doesn't seem exactly yes. And and I believe honestly, it was more than two years because the last time they went to school, they were pulled out of school. The last time they went to school was May twenty sixth of two thousand and sixteen. Now, why didn't you send them back to school? Is it because that's when the abuse started, and you didn't want the the signs of abuse to be showing? Right. I'll- Did charisma really get injured that bad in July of two thousand and sixteen? That's why you didn't let the other ones go to school either, because the signs of being abused. Plus, they're going to speak and say that their sister is gone towards and send red flags and say, "Why is this happening?" Yeah, they've been collecting. When I went, when we went to the house to have our memorial on Sunday, one of the neighbors told me that they flagged me down. And they said, "You know, we sent our condolences. We're so sorry, and we wish we should have done something." I said, "It happened. It." There's nothing that you guys can say to bring my daughter back. And they said, there's something that we need to let you know. I said, okay. They said, Raphael's tax lady showed up. That he's always doing his taxes the first day he's ready to do taxes. She was wondering why he he hasn't came to do his taxes. So she's seen what was happening, and she had to come and see the house herself. These past years that Charisma's been up in the attic, deceased, he's been claiming her on his taxes and getting money for her. Mm. Wow. (laughs) Wow. So that could be yet another criminal charge that they may be facing. Exactly. Wow. I I would just add, in in the hopes of change, every single place where Raphael and Maribel, the adoptive parents, lived, no matter where it is, every single home, apartment, any place where they had residency needs to be searched. Every wall needs to be checked. Every backyard needs to be checked. Neighbors need to be contacted. It just very rarely is an event that hap- is a single event. This very well could be a pattern. So I hope they do their homework. They do a thorough investigation in the hopes of change. But we can't forget every other child that has gone through that front door of their house. Exactly. There could be other ones. What if there's another location they lived at? Where did they live before they came here to Arizona? Right. Yeah. Right. Well, Priscilla, we are very sorry for everything that's happened. But Priscilla, the fact that you've pulled yourself up and you've managed to kick an addiction, which has claimed so many others. And the fact that you, you know, you're working, you've pulled yourself together and now you're advocating and you're fighting for your children. You know, that there's there's a lot in yourself that you should be proud of for what you have accomplished. Absolutely. I, I, Priscilla, I was telling Anna uh, earlier, I, I've done a lot of work with uh, individuals who've been under the influence and have been fighting that battle for years. And, and you look from the picture that I've seen very healthy. You've made a positive change. You beat the odds. So remember, you've got a lot going for you and, and with the hopes that you, you may get to see your kids again. Thank you. That so means, keeping, uh, means a lot. Yeah, you definitely beat the odds. So Okay, Priscilla, you take Thank care you. of yourself. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you guys. Wow, Lewis. Wow. Well, you know, it's just my personal opinion, but I believe her. (laughs) Here we go again. I believe her. I believe her. Yeah, absolutely. And we do want to make this absolutely clear um, that, again, Priscilla Marquez claims to be the mother of these three children. She presented us with only one piece of paper. Uh, from the child's birth. Right. Uh, so we haven't been able to verify her claims. And you all can be the judge, but she certainly had information sounding like a woman who's the mother of those children. Absolutely. And, and based on what she said, you have to look, go down the road and look and confirm it. I mean, you can't just walk away from her. She's got some potentially very insightful information that could affect change. So, yeah. So wow. sad. So sad. Lewis, our first case is horrendous. This is a murder that took place out at sea on a cruise ship. This is a family that was cruising together to celebrate an anniversary. And to make matters more complicated, during the time of this killing on the ship, there was also a murder mystery trivia show that was going on at the same time. So while this real murder killing is unfolding, there is a fake entertainment version going on in the ship and the passengers on the ship 
are very confused as they're seeing people with blood running down the hallway and calls for help on the, you know, on the PA system. They weren't sure whether this was all part of the show. Right. And as it turns out, it was not part of the show. Mm. It was a real life murder on this cruise ship. So two years ago, Kenneth, who's 42 years old, Kenneth Manzanaris and his wife, Christy Manzanaris, who's 39, they and their family took a cruise on the Emerald Princess. And this was an Alaskan cruise on July 25th of 2017. This is after they have set sail. Kenneth and Christy got into a fight about his behavior. Apparently, he was acting in a way at the dinner table that she felt was inappropriate, and she told him so. Uh, She supposedly told her husband, I want you to get off this ship at the next port. I'm done with you, and I want a divorce. And and this allegedly happened in their room, in their stateroom? In their stateroom. Exactly. And there were... Two children, we understand, the couple's two children were also in the room. And when this fight starts getting going, the father, Kenneth, says to the children, please leave the room. I need to talk to your mother. And he sends them to an adjoining room because they're traveling with extended family because this is a celebration cruise. So the girls, the two children, go next door And this is when things get very nasty between this couple. They start getting into a massive fight where he reacts to his wife's demand for a divorce in a very violent way. And he starts to beat her. Now, the children are next door and they can hear this and they're freaking out and they're trying to get into the room, the cabin room, and they can't. But because they're next door and they all have balconies, they have adjoining balconies. So the children try through the balcony to see what's going on. And that's not only when they hear their father killing their mother, but they see it. So they're screaming for help. And because they're traveling with extended family, other family members manage to get into the cabin. They back up. They see him straddling the mother on the ground, throwing punches to her head. Yeah. That's a vision they'll never forget. No. No, I guess I was trying to not be that detailed because it's so horrendous. But yeah, because there was blood all over the room. Right. And apparently he, once he realizes what he's done, he makes the decision that he's going to throw her body overboard. So he is now dragging his wife's body toward the railing and her family managed to get inside the room fast enough to be able to stop and pull her back before he's able to throw her body overboard. By this time, they're calling for security and for medics to come in. And that's when the other passengers are very confused because he's covered in blood. The kids are screaming. There's blood all over the stateroom. And apparently there was a passenger uh, one or two levels up from the balcony who heard the commotion and said she saw him getting on the railing himself as if he was going to jump and kill himself. And she, according to reports, screamed at him not to do it. And he pulled back in. So all of this is happening, right? you know, in, in a short period of time. Right. And I believe the person that grabbed her ankle was her brother, in fact, who pulled her back. And brother claims that as he did that, the husband stated that she was laughing at him. She wouldn't stop laughing as if that was a justifiable reason, or at least his reason, for deciding to, to kill her and throw her over ship. It, of course, he, he lost it. He, he did. completely lost it. Yeah. He, he did lose it. What, what's, you know, they'd been married a long time. They were high school sweethearts. They had had some financial troubles back in uh, 2010. They had filed for bankruptcy. So he was working. He had several jobs that are listed, a bail bondsman, a manager at Walgreens, an insurance company employee. So it seems like... He was bouncing around a bit, and she worked as a real estate agent for a very prominent um, agency back in Utah. She was a realtor. So family members have said to the media that they never saw any signs of violence between the two of them. And I I guess my question to you would be, do you really believe that that's true? No, I don't believe that. That's just – if he's going to lose it – 
seems very strange and out of the norm to go to that extreme for the first time ever. And I, something tells me there was stuff, obviously there was stuff brewing before they took that cruise together. Um, and, and the threat of divorce was probably already in the air. Um, I, I find it hard to believe that, that that's all it took to get him to go to that extreme on that occasion. So it's probably a buildup and it's probably, I think as hopefully this starts to get, become a little more transparent. You'll see people come out of the waterworks saying, no other things happened too. there were signs. There were absolute signs. But um, do people just snap? I can't say it doesn't happen. It would be the exception. It's not the norm. So it's usually a buildup. Yeah. Even if people on the outside don't see it, there is a buildup to that snap. Right. There's buildup and, and they work really hard at keeping it in house inside the doors. And I imagine those kids probably saw some things that they've shared with law enforcement when they were forensically interviewed to, that would probably give some credibility to this, some credence to this being more common than not. Uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's terrifying. I, I, I got to tell you, I, look, I was looking at the times of the response for security on this. Apparently, the call, it, this incident started and the call went in at 8.50 p.m. And security arrived at 9.03 p.m., 13 minutes. And I, I'm, I know you've been on a few of these ships. I right? have. Right. I have. And that, that's not a bad response time for a cruise ship. But that, must, that 13 minutes must have seemed like an eternity to those kids to get someone there and— to have heard it and to have seen their yeah. mother killing, excuse me, their father killing their mother. And this is the part, right. you know, I've covered so many of these cases where one spouse kills the other spouse. And it's always because he or she was going to divorce me. I cannot figure out how this is a better answer or solution to divorce. I don't understand this. Right. Because you're ending everybody's life, in essence. Well, your family will never be the same. No, these kids— have lost their mother. The three daughters have lost their mother and their father will spend the rest of his life in prison. Plus they have to deal with the torment of having seen and heard their father kill their mother. Mm. What do you do with this? How do you, how do you come back from this? Yeah. They're, they're going to need it. it, It's going to affect them their entire life. I I don't know if you can't come back from it. It's going to be their new norm, unfortunately. Um, And I, I can't even imagine if mom was actually tossed overboard if he actually succeeded in that, because recovering her would have been very difficult. Do you think that that would have had any impact on the investigation, though? Because what we're being told is that he was literally covered in blood. There was blood everywhere. I I think you never know. You never know. But I I think that they would have had enough to prosecute. You probably would have. And there's usually video on those balconies, too, showing what's happening on each and every balcony. Um, And people jump from those things all the time, unfortunately. And they're covered and they climb between them and there's always uh, using the balcony in a way that they probably shouldn't be using it. And so I, I would imagine there would have been video for that. Well, he did tell one of the officers that when he was arrested there on the site, he, he just turned to them and said, my life is over now. He's right. But your kids, too, you, you destroy their lives. They'll have to fight hard to, to come back. Just a horrendous story. Well, yeah. I suppose you could say there is some justice here, but that just never fixes anything. Did you ever feel that when you were uh, a police officer, a sheriff's deputy? Did you get that all the time that it, there is no justice, right? Because the the person who committed the crime, let's say, will will go to prison, but the person they killed is gone. And so how did you ever handle that? Yeah. You know, I, I, I get this all the time from families, right, of, of homicide victims, is that there really is no perfect justice it, that's, that event is never wiped away. They have to deal with it probably almost every day of their life. It's, it's part of their life forever. So there is a little bit of satisfaction. Maybe that's a more appropriate word that, that these people were caught. This individual in this case was caught. Um, and he should be in custody for the rest of his life, hopefully. Um, so and there's satisfaction. But the perfect justice would include bringing mom back. And you can't do that. No, it's not going to happen. It is time for the comments section of our episode. This is about a Wisconsin man who was taken into custody and jailed after a fight with a woman over, of all things, a filet of fish sandwich. Tristan Scarpetta, 24 years old, apparently got into a fight with a woman over this kind of a sandwich. She ordered him a filet of fish and brought it back home. And he was upset because they put cheese and tartar sauce on 
the filet of fish Now, those of us who love and eat this ever since, like, they've been five years old can tell you a filet of fish comes with a slice of cheese and tartar sauce. Okay. Nonetheless, he became angry, Lewis, because he didn't want that on his sandwich. So he starts getting into a fight with this woman. He's not only fighting, but he's also choking her. And then she began to scream. So he decides to take off, but he also takes off with her cell phone. And he was ultimately caught and arrested. So was that sandwich taken in as evidence or did someone eventually eat it? And I got full disclosure. I'm allergic to seafood, so I could care less. (laughs) Um, So he'll have to answer for this uh, eventually. He will. And then these are the comments from our viewers and listeners. Cheryl P. writes, well, I don't like cheese and tartar sauce on my filet fish either, but I don't lose my mind over it. I scrape it off. There you go. That is reasonable. Very reasonable. That is the reasonable reaction to when you get a filet fish not the way you want it. Hmm. Uh, Emily M. says, it's not hard to just ask them not to put it on there. Just saying. True. Straight to the point. Yes. Okay. And the last one, Ms. S. writes, seriously, next time go to Burger King so you can have it your way. (laughs) Wow. (sighs) Louis, thank you so much for joining us today. Your insight was invaluable. Where can people find out more about you or where can they reach you to hire you? (laughs) Well, thanks for asking, Anna. Um, They can go to our Facebook page or our uh, website, getbitinvestigations.com or Louis Bolaños uh, on Facebook. And uh, all our contacts are there. Okay. Thank you. Absolutely. And as always, you can find our content on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, plus YouTube. And you can get updates and subscribe to our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. Until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast reminding you, don't do crime. 